Shalom Aleichem, on behalf of Teach 613, we welcome you to Take 10 for Talmud. Gitin Nun, Gitin 50b, pagination is 100, starting from the second line on the page. There's a general rule that one cannot collect from real estate that was already sold to somebody else if there is the ability to collect from movable objects. Let's clarify what's going on over here. Let's say a person borrowed money, and at the time that he borrowed the money, he owned a certain amount of real estate, he did not yet pay up the loan, and he sold the real estate, But upon that real estate, if the loan was structured in a certain way, milva bishtar, using a document, there would be a loan, there would be a lien created based on the loan on the real estate, such that if later on the person who lent the money shows up trying to collect the debt, and there's nothing to collect from because the person has no assets. The person who lent the money could go after that property upon which there remains a lien and collect from it from the buyers. The rule, as we're stating from the Mishnah, is that one cannot collect from Nechasim Mishubadim, from property that has a lien on it, if there are movable objects. If the person still has cash or other assets that can be converted into cash, then the person who lent the money has to collect from those items before he goes after the already sold real estate. Boi Rav Achadvoi Bar Ami, the following question is posed. Bimatana Heach. Let's say that real estate, which we're saying is protected as long as the borrower still has movable objects to pay up, we don't touch the lien property because it was bought by these buyers. What would be if it was gifted? to those people. Instead of being buyers, they would be recipients of a gift from the person who borrowed money. And the question is explained as follows. Is this concept that you can't collect from the lien property as long as there are assets to the person who borrowed? Is that Mishum Pseida de because we don't want the buyers to lose out. After all, they paid money for this. You're going to pull it away from them. They're going to lose money. But, they did pay for it. We want to protect them. And you can't go after them unless there are no other assets. Avamatana, but when you have a gift, that there is no loss to the buyer. The buyer never paid any money. He's not a buyer. He's a recipient of a gift. Lo, maybe this protection 
doesn't apply to him. Oh, Dilma, or maybe. Matana Nami, by a gift also, if not for the fact that there was some benefit back and forth, he wouldn't be getting a gift. The assumption here is that if a person's getting a gift, it's because something that happened previously. Maybe you shoveled his driveway for 20 years. Maybe you were a good neighbor for a long time. And maybe you walked his dog in the morning. He giving you a gift now, it's not tit for tat exactly, but you can't argue that you didn't exert yourself at all in order to earn this. And therefore we would, again, respect what you have and not allow anyone to collect from it unless there is no other recourse. This concept that a gifted item also comes with a price tag, if you will, is a concept that we have by Genevastas of Matona. We all understand that you can't steal we all understand that you can even mislead somebody about a product. But that is readily understood when you're selling the product. The halacha is that even when you're gifting a product, you're not allowed to mislead somebody. For example, a person has a non-kosher food item. However, they got it, they accidentally bought it, someone gave it to them, whatever. When they give it to a non-Jewish neighbor, for example, who's going to be able to eat this non-kosher item, they're not allowed to mislead the person and give them the impression that it's a kosher item. It's a kosher piece of meat, even though it makes no tangible difference to the non-Jewish neighbor. But there is a genevastas, a stealing of intent, where the person thinks they owe you more then you actually gave them. They think that you're giving them a piece of meat that you could have eaten. And you're not allowed to mislead somebody because even in Matona, even though it's gifted, there is some reciprocity of indebtedness. And you're not allowed to mislead somebody. So that, for example, not long ago, someone gave my wife a ShopRite non-kosher, non-certified cake. And it was a nice gift item. She took it. She thanked them. What do I do with this? So I went over to my neighbor, who sometimes helps us as a Shabbos guy, um, when there was no heat, on a very cold day. So I went over to them, and I said, this is an item that came to us. It's not certified kosher. We can't use it, but I thought of you. So that's legitimate because I did think of them. And uh, that level of tovas hano, even if I can't use it, but they can use it. But <coughs> you can't mislead somebody into thinking they're getting something more than you gave them. And that's in essence the same principle of this Gemara. A person receives a matana, there must be a reason he's getting the matana. It's not just ba'alma, just out of the clear blue. It's the equivalent of a loss if we would go after him, even though there's metaltalin, 
And therefore the Gemara proposes, which is the way we paskin, that even if a person got it as a gift, we still will not go after their lien unless the person who owes the money has no other liquid assets. The Gemara brings a proof to this concept that we don't go after a lien if there are other assets, even in the case of a gift. Drop down about five lines in the beginning of a line. Im Omar, a person said, we're talking about a shchiv meirah, a person on his deathbed, and he makes the following gift statement. Tenuma sayim zuz leploni, v'acharav leploni, v'acharav leploni. He says, give 200 coins to a certain person, and after him, 200 to a different person, and after him, 200 to a different person. So clearly he's itemizing in a sequential way. There's recipient A, then there's recipient B, then there's recipient C. The Mepharshim say, being that we're talking about liens, as this will develop, it's clear that we're not talking about actually 200 coins going to the person, but rather real estate in the amount of 200 coins, because it's going to be a lien, and we don't do liens on movable objects. The halacha is, Omrim, we say, whoever's earlier in the document gets, and we don't go after them, Initially, initially we go after the last recipient because the first one still left something by the person who owes the money until the last person gets stuck that he's the person from whom we collect. You would collect from the last person. If he doesn't have enough to satisfy the loan in terms of the assets of the real estate that he received, we would go to person B. If he doesn't have, we would go to person A. Points out the Gemara, even if the first person has the correct type of land, meaning medium land, and the last one has the least valued land, and a person, when he borrows, is obligating his medium land, you would collect from the least because we always follow the last person. Shemamina, we see, even though it was gifted, there still is indeed a protection for a person, even if he got it as a gift that we don't go after that lien unless there are no assets that we could get beyond that real estate that he has. Now, the Gemara continues with questions on this proof, but we do paskin like this proof, as the Rosh writes, V'chein Hilchasa, that's how we paskin, even though the Gemara still has comments and questions on it, but the halacha is based on this proof, and regardless of whether the recipient is with purchase or with gift, either way he will be protected, the item that he has would not 
become the lien property that we would collect from unless indeed the person who owes the money does not have a different way to pay. Yoshe Koach, thank you for joining.